This is Artists at Work, stories from people who make the arts their business. I'm Thomas Breeden. Carol Pearsall is the Artistic Director of Fifth Wall Theater in Richmond, Virginia. She's also an actor, director, producer of new works for theater, and she teaches classes in the Meisner technique of acting. She began, like many young actors, with an affinity for song and dance, a clothesline as a curtain in her backyard, and a starry-eyed memory of the first time she ever saw a big theatrical production. I remember the first play I saw was The Sound of Music, and I just couldn't believe that there were all these people in front of me with this singing, and, and that show is so moving because of the content and the, the um, World War II, and the, it affected me. I was in, about eight years old. And my mother took me to it, and it affected me both as a, as loving the production and the music and the spectacle and also the content. The content of a play is the most important part of it to Pearsall. In her process of producing a work, she looks for the truth about humanity in the play, whether it's a Tennessee Williams or Sam Shepard classic or a stage reading by an upcoming Richmond playwright. I look for the truth in the dialogue and look for hope the, the playwright has something to say. I look to see, well, what are you saying here? What are you... Sometimes plays touch on too many topics. And I'll say to the playwright, what are you really trying? What do you really want to send as a message with this play? After being involved in a New York City company that produced original works and studying acting under Sanford Meisner, she moved to Richmond, Virginia in the early 1980s. She says that that was a drastic change from the progressive theater scene of New York to the more restrained Richmond theater community. When I came to Richmond, it was there was a rule at at Theater Virginia, which was in the in the art museum. They weren't allowed to have profanity in any shows, and this was early '80s. We did one of our early shows was um, Glengarry Glen Ross, David Mamet, which you know was full of profanity. And I remember somebody saying, that's very brave of you to do that show. Well, we sold out every night. It was, there was a real, a real wanting that kind of programming in Richmond. She quickly became involved with the community to bring some more provocative work to Richmond. When I got here, I wanted to meet the theater community. I took an acting class with Randy Strauderman and worked in a Streetcar Named Desire for him at the what was then the flood zone. Then I took another acting class with Janet Wilson, and it was an ongoing acting class, and a lot of professional actors were taking the class just to keep in shape. And it was a pay-per-class, so you could go to any class and just pay for that class. So a lot of people were regulars. And I got together with about... There must have been about eight or nine people from the class who decided they wanted to start a theater company. And we all met right here at my house at that kitchen table and talked about what we wanted to do as a theater company. And there were all kinds of ideas. Some people wanted to do classics. Some people wanted to do different things. But there were five of us who decided we wanted to do contemporary American theater, and we wanted an acting company based on the Meisner method of acting. 
So the rest of the people we parted ways with stayed friends. Of course, it wasn't any any kind of disruptive or, or controversial thing. It was just the five of us knew what we wanted to do. But then we decided we didn't want to do it without a space because there was a theater company, the production company that in Richmond that was very good that had dissolved because they had a hard time finding a place to do anything and they had to delay productions for months while they when they lost spaces and then found them. So we started looking all over town, looking at buildings, and put the word out that we were looking for a, for a space to do theater and somebody one night at Davison, Maine said, Well the fire the fire station on Broad Street is moving. They're building a new station on Hermitage. So we went to the fire station. We talked to the firemen. They said, yeah, we're moving. We looked at it. We said, oh, one well, thing we were looking for was high ceilings. And we looked, and it was perfect for performing. And Bill Gordon, who was one of the five, worked downtown, for worked for WRVA radio, and covered City Hall. So he knew all the councilmen and the city manager, Bob Bob, and he asked them if we could do a fundraiser in the firehouse. They said, well, if you can get the insurance, you can do it. So we asked Patricia Cornwall, the um, novelist, who was on our board of directors, if she would pay for the insurance, which was $2,000, and she said yes, and we got the insurance. We did a four-alarm firehouse fundraiser there, and we raised enough money to do our next production. Then go fast forward to 1998, when the city decided to put their surplus property for sale. And this was on their surplus property list. Mm -hmm. So the mayor at the time was Tim Kaine, and he told me that they had to put it up for bid. Well, we had $2,000 in the bank. We couldn't. He said, you can come up with $80,000, and I'll take it off the bid because people were bidding on it. I'll take it off the bid. I'll freeze it. You can have it for $80,000. And we said, we don't have $80,000. But Harry Collatz and I went on the radio and went broadcasting all over that we needed $80,000 to buy the building. In the meantime, I called the city and said, what would the utilities be if we did own it? And what would we have to pay per month for the electricity, the water? Well, the city real estate office said, what? You're not paying utilities? And she shut our electricity off. No, shut our water off. Electric was Dominion. She shut our water off. We had a show that night. I had to call the mayor and say, turn our water back on. We have a show tonight, which he did. <laughs> anyway, we got the water turned back on and we... Gave it. We put an announcement out every night that we needed $80,000. Harry did, would do a curtain speech. And one of our neighbors who lived on Monument Avenue came in and in intermission told Harry, well, I can buy the building for you. So he bought the building for $80,000. And we paid his interest that he'd borrowed. And he said we could buy the building back from him for the same price within 10 years. And when the 10 years was up, he donated the building to us. And thus, Firehouse Theater was born. 
Pearsall went on to serve as the theater's artistic director, selecting the programming each season and taking advantage of their new home. We started having acting classes. We had a rehearsal space there. We had a storage for props. We had everything we needed right there. That was the advantage of having a building without, with low overhead. They had low overhead, but it was not always low maintenance. It started out we didn't have any, any heat. Uh, for a while the boiler blew. We, got, we had to put a new roof on the building, but somehow the money always came through, through grants. We, it was kind of a miracle. It was part miracle and part gut instinct. She had a vision for the types of work that Firehouse would produce. From there, though, things were often up in the air. We did a lot of David Mamet, a lot of Sam Shepard. Those plays were very meaningful, and it was like I said, we decided to do the play, and rather than figure it out ahead of time how we were going to accomplish it, we just announced it and figured it out, like when we did... Buried child, how are we going to get all that corn every night? We had a low budget. One of our board members went to Ucrops and said, can we pick up corn every night that you're throwing out? And they said, yes, you can have corn every night. And then somehow figured out how to shave the father's head. And when we did Curse of the Starving Class, we had to have a lamb. How are we going to have a lamb? Well, we found a place we could rent a lamb. And as it grew through the run, we had to have it two weeks for the tech and then a month for the the show. It grew and we had to raise the pen fence higher because one night during the show, it jumped out of the pen that was supposed to enclose it and the actor had to chase it and keep doing his monologue and hold it in. But those kind of challenges were always just fun to figure out. Pearsall did anything it took to make her vision a reality. She worked hard and produced successful season after successful season. Then, she got a message from the board of directors telling her to retire. I, was, I wasn't asked to retire. I was told I had to retire. And I said, asked, you mean I'm fired? And they said yes. So they fired me. I had asked for a meeting. I had never been told why. I never was, I was never given any kind of, of, in fact, I had just gotten a raise. I just had a sold out show, Dessa Rose. I had partnerships with the Carpenter Center. I had partnerships with all kinds of groups in town, sold out Death of a Salesman, sold out Dessa Rose, had the most successful season ever. But like you said, it was politics, and uh, there were a group of people who sabotaged me. And I, I don't know, I never found out any reason why. I think it was, I can just see that I was too powerful, and they wanted to take over. They wanted to run it. The board brought in... Uh, a managing director who had no theater experience, who was brought in 
to run it like a business rather than an arts organization and run it with uh, no compassion. It was a person who stayed in her office and would email me a question, and I was across the hall, never communicated or spoke, except once a week at a meeting. And emails that were abrasive, so it was a very strange scene, and in hindsight, I think the board brought her in to, to straighten me out and make me more business-like, even though I'd been running the business. I had just raised $150,000 myself and done a whole um, renovation, new seating, new soundboard, new light board, new dimmers, new equipment. The whole theater had been renovated with me raising the money. So I was competent budget-wise, and, and we were always in the black. We'd never been in the red. The whole time I was, I was managing director before they brought her in. So at the time, there were many people who left. Half the board resigned. They felt they'd been tricked into voting for me to retire. It was a big deal. Scotty Witchman was the first person to hear about it, and he went outside the firehouse with a sign, there is no firehouse without Carol. And people all stopped, and there before he knew it, there were 50, 60 people out there with signs protesting. All the actors that were supposed to be in the rest of the season and the directors quit. So they didn't have a season. We were supposed to do a show called Breast and Show, which was a musical about breast cancer. And the woman who was responsible for the rights went with us. The firehouse wasn't going to do it anymore. And we produced it. So we did that show. And we didn't know what we were going to be called yet, but that was the beginning of it. That was successful. Then we did um, Gideon's Knot at Hat theater in the West End. So we did those two shows as we were, I was fired in December. That was February was Breston show and May was Gideon's Knot. So we immediately started producing and gathered the former board, people who'd left the firehouse and formed Fifth Wall Theater. That period in between the firehouse and fifth wall theaters taught Pearsall a lot about the arts, the type of organization she wanted to run, and to trust her instincts when it comes to selecting the people she wants to work with. People like Joe Walton, who was on the firehouse board, who was at the emergency meeting where they were discussing dismissing me, they were discussing the problems they had with me, and he said, why isn't she here? If you have problems with her, why isn't she here for you to tell her? And they, and he said, if you don't think that I'm going to walk right out of here and call her, you're crazy. So they kicked him off the board for breach of confidentiality. So he is the most upright person, honest, trustworthy, and he's running this theater, which is very appropriate. George Ann Broth, who was also former Firehouse Board, was one of the founders of Fifth Wall. She's now 
rotated off the board, but it was people who truly are honest people. They don't have a, a, anything going on that you don't know about, which is important. Mm -hmm. So when you're surrounded by these kind of people, you can actually tell them what you're feeling, and, and they will support or tell you what they don't think is good. So it keeps everybody honest and not afraid to say what they think. Especially theater, the art is collaborative. Mm -hmm. And it should be a good experience where people care about each other, a board that is on the same artistic vision, that, that are good people that aren't trying to to further their own agenda, but are trying to make art. So that goes, it's, a, it's all a philosophy about how you treat people and how, what are we trying to communicate with theater? Humanity. And if you don't have that on the people who are running it, then how can you express it to the public? So that's what I want with Fifth Wall, to have a group of people who who I can really look up to. In addition to looking carefully at the people she works alongside to run the organization, Pearsall is also looking at the makeup of the teams that produce Fifth Wall shows. This season, the company is producing the first annual Women's Theater Festival in collaboration with other Richmond theaters and one in Vancouver, Washington. We're having all women directors, all women designers. The design factor, there are so many women in theater and you forget, we said, who can we get for scenic designer? What woman is there? And then a lot come up when you think about it. We tend to go to the same people a lot, but for this one, we're going to use all women and it should help to promote the idea that women can do something on their own. When you look at magazines, and I used to look at American theater and turn the pages, I would count. There'd be eight men to every one woman in the photos. And theater in general, when I look at plays, it'll be at least three men and two women in the cast, even if it's written by a woman. Mm. play I directed a few years ago, Rapture, Blister, Burn, had three women. One, two, three, and one man. So usually there are more men than women in casts, and that's always a challenge. So now people are starting to change. It's changing the sex of a, a role is way more accepted, and it's a good thing. Pearsall is planning for the future of Fifth Wall, even going so far as to envision another transition in her career in the next few years. I would like to see a transition. I would like to see someone take over some of the administration and some of the things I do. I want to build it so that it's not my theater, it's our theater. I don't want to be, I don't want it to depend on my being there. So I guess my goal is for it to transition into more people having more responsibility and more say in what goes on.
In all, she believes that going with your gut and believing in the work that you do is the most important part of producing great art. The main thing is to go with your gut. When I read a play, when I see something, when I'm inspired by something, there is a way. There is a way to communicate the piece if you believe in it. One of my dear directors, Rusty Wilson, we were looking at a play to do once and it looked like it needed a huge set and it needed water and it needed this and that. I said, Rusty, if I announce this, how, and we can't do it, he said, we can do it. I don't care if I have to take a pitcher of water and pour it over her head. We will do it. It's a beautiful play. We want to communicate it. We'll do it. My advice to artists is to to go with your gut, and if you believe in something, to figure it out. My teacher, San, Sanford Meisner, in acting, was was one of the most important things in the acting exercise was the difficulty. And through difficulty, great art is made. I even read an article about a painter once who used brushes that were too big because of the difficulty. So if something's difficult and you achieve it, you've made a piece of art. Thanks for listening to Artists at Work, a podcast from Artstitution. This episode was written and produced by me, Thomas Breeden, with a very special thanks to my guest, Carol Pearsall. She and I work together on the board of directors for Fifth Wall, and she's a fantastic artist, human being, and friend. You can learn more about Fifth Wall at fifthwalltheater.org. That's 5th wall theater with an R-E dot org. This episode also marks the start of season one of our show. We'll have 11 more episodes for you from now through June, coming out every other Thursday. We've got lots of good stuff in store for you, so please like, subscribe, share, and follow so you and your friends never miss an episode. If you love the show and want to support us into the future, please consider becoming an Artist at Work patron. You can learn more at artstitution.org. Starting at just $1 a month, your contribution helps us continue making this show, and you'll get some fun perks along the way. You can connect with us on social media at Artstitution. We're dedicated to building the arts through storytelling. Learn more at artstitution.org.